We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 60 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And as the Mets' September winds down, so does their season, it looks like. We'll see how uh, this stretch goes. But the Mets have been playing basically too much up and down baseball to make serious progress on the division or the wild card, especially after a tough series against St. Louis. But still, with that being said, a lot to go through today. Um, Not only just what's going on currently in Mets land, but what could be going on down the road. At the top of the show, we're going to touch on a lot of the rumors around their search for a president of baseball operations, GM, basically who's going to be running the personnel of the team. And of course, a lot of those rumors have heavily involved the Oakland A's Billy Bean and former New York Met Billy Bean. So we'll get to that. We'll do a little minors roundup as that season ends. And as always, we're going to answer a ton of your questions. But before we get into anything, it is episode number 60. Joe, are you ready for uh, you wouldn't think and now only five guys in Mets history have worn number 60. But it is a bizarre group of players we're about to go through. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing really good. And it, it is a bizarre group. And what I find really interesting is it's like it's all like recent. So yes. like the Mets didn't have a number 60 for like 50 years. Yes. Seemingly <laughs> something like that. And then they're like, all right, let's just issue it out. Um, yeah. I mean, let's talk about the players. Top of the My- list. Okay. Andres, Jimenez, Andres Jimenez. Like when he wore number 60, I was just like, what are the Mets? Ew. Like for- <laughs> forcing him to wear a spring training number while he's on the roster. Like go ahead and give him uh, you know, I don't know, 18 or, you know, some random number that fits a middle infielder. So I thought that was peculiar, but uh, I'll let you hit the other ones. Yeah, man. I mean, Jimenez is the one that will jump out to Met fans as one of the more notable. The most recent is Billy McKinney, who really did play a nice part in the Mets 2021 season when things were going well. McKinney came in when the Mets just needed a body in the outfield with all those injuries. And he had some big moments. He had some not only big home runs, but big hits um, showing the pop off his bat. Pretty good athletic glove out there in the field. And, you know, kind of the story of his career has been it's never consistently been like that. And it did eventually come back down to earth before they traded him. But at the end of the day, you know, McKinney, uh, he might be he had the biggest impact out of the number 60s maybe on this list in such a short time. Uh, before McKinney and Jimenez was PJ Conlon, the first Irish born player in baseball since 1945. Uh, Conlon obviously did not have a good Mets or major league career, but still a really fun, interesting story. 
before him, I forgot this guy even pitched for the Mets. I, I don't, this is not in my Mets memory bank at all. Like literally cannot picture him in the uniform. Cannot remember a single thing. Uh, John Roush pitched for the Mets in 2012. And it's not like he made a start or two or anything like that. He appeared in, get this, 73 games for the 2012 yeah. Mets. I don't know why that is just, and he wasn't I, even bad. I think it was, that was like the Frank Francisco year, right? I think they signed like him and Frank Francisco, maybe, I think, to uh, close. Yeah, one year. Yeah. Well, he had four saves. He did yeah. finish 22 games in 73 appearances. I mean, that was pretty much the end of his career after, you know, he played one more year in Miami and that was it. But his, a 3.59 ERA was not terrible uh, for obviously an awful time in Mets history. It was 2012. So John Roush somehow put on the Mets number 60 for, for all that year. I, I, I really, I remember a lot of weird things about bad Mets years. I just don't remember that at all. And then Scott Schoenweiss was actually the first New York Met to wear number 60, and that was in 2007. So you nailed it, Joe. Basically, no one wore this uniform for like 50 years. And what's a couple interesting facts, uh, Scott Schoenweiss was like the first time I recall the Mets like overpaying a middle reliever. Like I think they gave him like $5 million a year or $6 million a year or something like that in the mid-2000s, which was – you know, a lot for a guy like him. And, and he stunk. Yeah, pretty much stunk for the Mets. Um, 2008, he was okay, but 2007 was was really, really bad. Um, and PJ Conlin, fun fact about him, uh, he was the Mets' designated for assignment. The Dodgers claimed him, put him in AAA, pitched for a little bit. They designated him for assignment, and the Mets claimed him back. So he was going back and forth there for a minute, and then he, the Mets ended up uh, – I think the next time they designate him for assignment, he he didn't get claimed. But yeah, pretty funny to have that kind of back and forth there of we're going to drop you. Someone's going to claim you. Then when they drop you, well, we really want to lose you. We'll take you back. The Mets love doing that, by the way. I mean, that's no surprise there as well. They've done that uh, plenty of times, even in recent history. So, all right, moving on to the big news and something that is basically going to be in the headlines for New York baseball up until a hire actually happens. It's, you know, the Mets obviously not playing great has started this rumor process because let's be real. The Mets are, even when the Mets were really like the Mets find their way into the news for good or bad reasons. And right now, even expected not to make the playoffs, the Mets are a very, very relevant franchise in major league baseball under Steve Cohen and what the future expectations are. And that's why you're starting to see uh, the articles and the rumors. And the biggest one, I think, so far is all the connections to the Mets and Billy Bean, who, you know, is a notable executive in baseball for a lot of reasons. Obviously, the movie Moneyball, obviously the concept Moneyball, um, obviously because he is someone that, quite frankly, has had success in a place where there's no money to spend in Oakland. And the definition of success can be, you know, arguable in this instant, where have the A's been some powerhouse or world champions or anything like that? That's not the case. Are the A's competitive and, you know, it feels like almost every year, somehow, some way, and player development and finding diamonds in the rough and doing things in a very different way against all circumstances – yeah, they absolutely have. So 
I just wanted to make this the big segment of our show today, Joe, because this is going to be a big story for the Mets. It's the biggest one right now until they can actually work on re-signing their own players or extending or finding free agents and, and getting free agents. One, how much do you even buy into this being real? Because uh, obviously the the Mets have been connected to Theo. The Mets are now connected to Bean. If there's a big executive out there, people are going to connect the Mets to them. And, and two, what do you even think of this? I think there's enough noise where you could say it's something. Do I think the Mets are going to hire Billy Bean? I'm not sure. There's... There's a lot of factors that go into that on both sides. Um, who else do the Mets get permission to talk to? And, you know, unlike last year when we were waiting until almost the winter meetings um, to hire somebody, I think this hire is going to happen in the month of October, maybe the latter part of October, because uh, baseball doesn't really love major news uh, interrupting their playoffs. But the expectation, you know, when the Mets hired Brody Van Wagenen to be a GM, uh, that hire happened on October 29th. So I think you're looking at it late October, whereas last year, Steve Cohen didn't even officially get the team until November. So naturally from there, it took a little bit of time to to get something done. Um, but with Billy Bean, you have some factors. He's been a West Coast guy for his whole life, literally. Uh, obviously, in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a West Coast guy his whole life. Um, obviously, he played for the Mets. I found it a little peculiar. Did you watch the 30 for 30? I've gotten through the first two episodes. Okay. I still have the second two to watch. But yes, him yeah. being in it and the way he was in it was interesting. Yeah, very peculiar given like he wasn't a part of the team. He was the only player on there that wasn't really a part of the team. They were just like, oh, yeah, I got traded for Tim Tuffle. And then he just <laughs> continually opined on the uh, 86 Mets. But to me, you have... West Coast guy forever. Um, he's a 4% or 5% ownership stake in the Oakland A's. So he would have to divest from them. Uh, so at his age, does he want to, you know, he's, he's not old. I think he's 59 now. Um, so it's not like he's at the end of the line. But at 59, do you want to uproot yourself cross country? Um, does he want to get back into the day to day? Because a lot of things I think a lot of people don't realize that David Forst, the general manager over in Oakland, actually runs the A's day to day. Billy just kind of oversees. Uh, you could potentially bring that model to the Mets, too. I mean, he could come on, be the president and say, I'm going to hire a GM to do day to day. He'll take a lot of money, of course, which that's not a problem. It's just going to be interesting to see how interested he is in the job. And uh, John Heyman actually said on his podcast with Tony Gwynn Jr. yesterday that he, reading between the lines, believes that if Bean wants the job, he can have it. Uh, Bean has a replace, uh, obviously a relationship with Sandy Alderson. If you read Moneyball and not just watched the movie, um, you'd realize that how integral Sa Sandy Alderson was for Billy Bean's career. He's really his mentor. Um, so obviously them being able to work together would work out. And interestingly enough, uh, Billy Bean and Steve Cohen have, I wouldn't say a relationship, but some level of a rapport as Steve Cohen had brought Billy two, three times, something like that, to do speaking engagements at Point 72, uh, Steve Cohen's hedge fund. So there's some level of rapport there. They they certainly at least know each other. Um, so there's something there. So Billy Bean 
surely seems like a name to watch. There's some loops you'll have to go through. Um, I don't think Oakland would prevent you from talking to him. So I don't think that is an issue. Um, they would tell you to piss off if you want to talk to David Forrest, I think. But Billy, I think they'd let they'd let you if it was something that he wanted to do. Um, and they could get that 5% ownership stake back too, which I'm sure that they would like that money. And then from there, you're looking at Theo Epstein, who to me, I'll kind of believe it when I see it, that he's a serious candidate. Uh, everything that I've heard over the last year is that he's a potential future commissioner or if not a commissioner, like one of the top, top dogs in Major League Baseball to make the game better. Um, I don't know if one year off got him a desire all of a sudden to run baseball ops again, but certainly if uh, if he were interested in the job, I'm sure the Mets would be happy to talk to him. And to me, my personal favorite option of the reported shortlist, and you know they might seek out a couple people more than these three, but uh, David Stearns from Milwaukee. To me, that's to me he's that dude. Like hiring Billy Bean, it would be a good hire. There's no question. He's a Hall of Fame executive. Um, like you've said, he's made something out of nothing in Oakland, even though they haven't won a World Series. Uh, he's operated with low payrolls ownership not exactly cooperating i know uh last year he was very unhappy that the oakland a's owner would not allow him to make the qualifying offer to marcus simeon and look how that turned out and he went on to hit 41 home runs but david stearns to me is the guy he's new york born and bred um, grew up a mets fan was an intern started his, his career in baseball operations with the mets and then obviously moved on to the astros and now, obviously, he's at the tippity top of the Brewers hierarchy there. What's going to be interesting to see is if they grant permission. Last year, the Mets asked for David Stearns. Milwaukee said no. However, what I, I would expect the same this year, but what could potentially be different is his contract reportedly expires at the end of next season. And if this is a job that David Stearns really wants, I believe he has enough respect from Brewers ownership that if he went to uh, Mark Adonacio, the owner of the Brewers, and said, hey, grew up in New York, grew up a Mets fan, this opportunity is here, I really would like to you know, take that job if it were offered to me. I, I think he would allow him to do so. Um, and if he went had that conversation, the owner said no still, he could just be like, well, then I'm not signing an extension with you. So... To me, it's a matter of how much does David Stearns want this job? I don't know. I don't know that he does. I think it's, you know, we're connecting dots here. That's all we're doing at this stage. So I'm connecting dots. Mets fan from New York uh, started his career here. It could be like a full circle comeback moment. But I don't know that he even particularly wants the job. But if he did, that's my number one hire. Well, First off, I'm with you. That is absolutely number one on my list over anyone. Theo, Billy Bean. Uh, I I would love to land a 36 year old motivated guy with New York roots that has basically ascended throughout MLB like a genius and you know Harvard grad and just the way he's worked through different organizations at the ages he did it's clear that this is someone that is special in, in what he does so and you could 
look at the Brewers right now. You could look at really everywhere he's gone. If you just Google Stearns and look at where he's gone and what has happened in those places as his his roles have grown, uh, I don't personally think it's a coincidence. So I'm with you all the way on that. And I, I'm also with you that we just don't know because it really is in his hands. It is a situation that he has to leverage it. He has to play hardball and say, oh, awful baseball reference there. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> he has to, you know, go to the Brewers if he wants this job that bad and say, the reality of the situation is I'm not going to sign an extension with you after this year. So if you want something for me, get it now. And now I know people will counter that and go, well, how did the Mets wait a year, right? I don't necessarily know the answer to that. Maybe you do they hire. They won't, right? They'll just go no. in a different direction. No. If, yeah. if, if they cannot get David Stearns now, they won't it's get never. David Stearns. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say never, well, but you know not, what I not, mean. not anytime soon. Um, it's not like they're they're not going to hire. You know, sometimes you'll see teams hire like interim managers or things like that. You'll never see, uh, especially after last year. There's oh, no disaster. way. There's no yeah. way they could do an executive search three years in a row. So uh, if it's not now, it's probably never. Um, but when I, you did mention, I heard you say, you know, get something for him. And that's something that Joel Sherman wrote in an article for New York Post. Um, the Mets are not going to be giving up anything for any of these executives. Uh, or I'd be, I'd be utterly floored. Certainly not the names that Joel had floated, uh, Jeff McNeil or Tyler McGill. But they're... You, you don't give up anything anymore. Now I meant money, yeah. not oh, oh, money. assets. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. I want to Co- make that clear. I think that okay. is absurd to bring up yeah. McGill or Jeff McNeil in talks. Yeah. I mean, it, it's going to call the reality is I think Steve Cohen has to know that if he wants one of these big guys, he's going to have to issue the biggest contract in history to an executive um, come to New York a job where there is, you know, a lot of pressure um, with an owner that, you know, wants to win so badly that he has all this money. Like these guys basically have Cohen over a barrel when it comes to contractual negotiations. They could ask for pretty much whatever they want. Last year was a disaster. So they're like, look, I got to shape up this place. So I need this, this and this, whatever, you know, gears, money, whatever it is that they prefer. Um, One thing that I think is commonly spoken about that uh, John Heyman mentioned in his podcast. He doesn't think that any of these top executives care about Steve Cohen's Twitter account. Um, I tend to agree. Is it an annoyance to them? Probably. I'm sure you'd rather your owner not do that, but I don't think it's going to stop any of these guys from accepting the job if it were offered to them. You know how else you stop Cohen from you know, whatever tweets people win. have a problem with win baseball games yeah. because then he's just going to, he's just going to victory lap on Twitter yep. instead, which will be hilarious, not questionable. So yeah, I, that's winners or people with winning mindsets. Like a lot of the guys names we've brought up. That's why they don't care because they go in there and they think, well, I'm going to win a lot of games because I have money because I'm good at finding baseball talent and I'm good at running organizations that win, so that won't be a problem. The loser mindset of worrying about tweets is a Wilpon-style mindset where, well, we're probably going to be bad anyway, so how do we control the PR? So yeah, I do. I find that actually hilarious. And 
all right. Well, obviously a great breakdown from you and how this search, you know, could look or how it could start at least. At least we have a starting point here. Zeroing in on Bean for now because that's the one that is top of line. Honestly, part of it that intrigues me the most besides the fact that because I I don't love that he's not an old guy and I I don't think he's with Theo. I genuinely worry about burnout slash lack of motivation. I think people like some people probably want to smack me when they hear that, but I'm just not convinced Theo Epstein necessarily has the the drive that he had with the Red Sox or even the Cubs. And maybe I'm wrong. But I'm just not convinced of that necessarily, where it's like, I wouldn't be mad if they hired him, but I also wouldn't think that they just hired, you know, like this slam dunk thing where it's all going to work out. With Bean, I really think there's something there that he's been so handicapped by what he can do in Oakland. It's because no matter how many players you develop, no matter how many diamonds in the rough you find... He is playing on a totally different playing field than the teams that they run into in the postseason, notably the Yankees, like teams like that, where it's, I mean, just look up the salaries. It's just, no matter what, eventually it's it becomes nearly impossible. And I know they've come close, but in this day and age, it's so hard to live like that, where, you know, I'm not saying he looks at the Mets job and goes, oh, now I just get to play around with money to fix all no but it's a huge supplement to the the talent you're developing over time number two with bean that i like and i i'm not buying that this is actually a thing that could happen but when i read it i i was like great i would be thrilled with bob melvin coming here as well i think that gives you credibility and consistency at the managerial spot that this team has not had and I don't know how realistic it is. I don't know why the A's would let him out. But that's something to me, Joe, that I would be. And I'm not even like one of these people that thinks the manager makes that big a difference in baseball. But that's something to me where I go, OK, that is one less problem or search this team has to go through. It would be nice if Bob Melvin could come along with him. Like you said, I'm not sure if that's realistic or not. The only thing that I will say to say maybe is. Ken Rosenthal doesn't tend to just I agree make up random scenarios and write full pieces about it. Uh, so there's got to be at least some semblance of noise somewhere, even if it's not from someone who can make that decision. Uh, even if it's speculative, there's something out there. And you know, Steve Cohen said day one, the one thing he said is, "I'm gonna, I want to hire the best." And you know, I'm not. Is Bob Melvin the best manager in baseball? I don't know. I mean, he's won manager of the year a couple of times and he's obviously a great manager, but who, who, who are you going to hire? I mean, we had this conversation last week. This it was one of the questions, right? Like who would be your managerial favorite? And we're just like, uh, Beltron, we have no idea. So like, I don't know who is out there that would excite them. Uh, and obviously whoever they hire would have the power to make that decision. So if it's Billy Bean, I'm sure he's like, hey, I want to bring uh, Melvin with me. And if that's the case, obviously, that's a huge coup for the Mets to be able to get Melvin in the dugout, Bean and whatever he puts around him in the front office. Uh, what what intrigues me about Billy running 
the organization is, like you said, obviously he operated with limited payroll. Um, I, I mentioned about Marcus Simeon that they, he just was told he could not make the qualifying offer to him. Uh, obviously quite, quite a bit of restrictions. The whole hope and Andrew Friedman is like the best example of it, who runs the Dodgers came from Tampa. It's like, well, take all the awesome things that you did in Oakland for all these years created a, I mean, Oakland's a consistent winner. Even if they haven't won the World Series, they're consistently competitive. Um, take those things, but now you get money too. So keep doing all those cool little things that you do because that those they are important. But now that move that you dream of doing, like I'm sure there's plenty of free agents that Billy would look at the free agent list and go, man, it'd be really cool if I could bring this guy to Oakland, but scratch his name off because he costs money. Now that's an option. So it'd be very interesting to see a guy with Billy's intellect and ability to identify, you know, undervalued assets and, and all the good things that he's done all these years and then be like, well, now I have money in addition to that. And you combine those things. Sometimes it's a good thing, Andrew Friedman. And, you know, other times there's been small market GMs that have gone to big markets and struggled because they either got money happy or, you know, or, or something else went awry. But yeah, it'd be very interesting to see him here. And I'd love to see who he is, surrounds himself with, too. It's like when someone like wins the lotto, like a working class yeah. person wins the lotto and they, they right. just don't know how to. But I think Bean would be fine. And would he bring Billy Owens as GM? He's yeah, great that, question. He's, he's a name that we spoke about. Like that's someone that Sandy has a relationship with. Billy has a relationship with. And, you know, ultimately, like any other place in the world, it's a, a relationship world. So um, if Billy Bean is to be hired and, you know, it could happen. And, you know, like I said, I think this will this search will begin in earnest in the next couple of weeks or so. And most of the names I mentioned that we mentioned are going to be readily available because the they won't be a part of the playoffs. Uh, obviously, if you if you had interest in David Stearns, you'd have to probably wait a little bit. Milwaukee will be in and who knows what kind of run they make. But I think, you know, this is a, you know, maybe by short, you know, this time next month or shortly thereafter, the Mets, I would hope, would have their new president of baseball operations in place. And I think timing is is something to keep an eye on here. Like you don't you can't really afford to have a late start in free agency this year. No, and and no there's way. things that you know, let's be real. There's a chance that Steve Cohen has already made up his mind that they need to retain Javi Baez. And that's something that a guy like Sandy Alderson, you would think they would be able to get something like that done or the qualifying offer to like Conforto, just things like that. Sure. But we've seen the external market pass them by before in a sense, or just things, you know, just not as organized when you just don't have that person in place. So I, I really think timing is, is vital here in the next, what, 35 days or so. I, I really think it's imperative that they make this higher ASAP. You know, like you said, obviously you have the Conforto qualifying offer, which, you know, Sandy could handle some things, of course, because he's been here, done that. But I would really like to see someone in here that can start to organize things and be ready because this offseason might be one of the biggest offseasons that the Mets have had in a long, long time. 
Um, obviously, with all the internal free agents, what are they doing with Conforto, Javi Baez, Marcus Stroman, Noah Syndergaard? What are they, you know, even on lower levels, like is the Jonathan VR in the picture for next year? So there's a lot of things that they need to address internally this year. And the last thing you need to be doing while those talks are supposed to be happening is putting together a front office. Like this needs to be in place and, you know, an action plan and, you know, go and attack because they they need to know who they're able to keep, who they're going to lose. And then, you know, what money are they able to spend on external additions? Because, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of money dished out just internally. I mean, we, we've talked about it here, right? Like Javi Baez is going to be twenty five million dollars a year if they want to keep him. Conforto's twenty plus million dollars a year. Stroman's probably 20 plus million. I think Cindergard gets the qualifying offer, 20 million. Robinson Cano comes back on the books, potentially your third baseman, as I joked on Twitter, um, 20 million dollars. So like that's a lot of 20s that are potentially being added to the payroll that aren't there currently. So it'll be a, a very, very interesting offseason. Hey, I think Dylan Batanzas comes off the payroll. So you're finally... Oh. Uh... And you got to worry about, Jer- yeah. I mean, not worry, but even a guy like Jerry's Familia, like this bullpen was good this year. Like there's going to be like Aaron Loop has to oh, get, yeah. re- you yeah. know, like have to resign him. I mean, obviously more so than Familia. So yeah, you're absolutely right there. There's a ton that in-house is vital and, and it's, it expands, you know, to the obvious that is external. So, all right, let's get into the mailbag. Ton of good questions. Not a surprise. Every single week I click on your tweet. When you ask for them, and there's at least 15 to 20 responses. So thank you, everyone. First one uh, from a, a legend here, a guy that always sends a couple from Steve Miller. He said, what kind of return would you envision for some of the tradable guys like Dom and JD? Uh, one prospect, multiple low-level prospects, solid relief guy, something else. So obviously a tough question because not a good year for Dom. Uh, JD, you always worry about the... You know, where is he playing? Does a team that, you know, maybe doesn't have a big payroll in the American League. And we also are probably thinking at the DH is everywhere next year. So does a low payroll team because of how, you know, under team control he is and cost effective JD is. Do, do they target him uh, for a DH? What do you think here, Joe? Is this something I, I don't really I don't really envision these guys going for prospects. That would kind of surprise me, but I, I like where Steve is thinking here. Maybe quietly you get a, a an somewhat impact reliever or maybe a fifth starter, fourth starter kind of guy, or, or maybe even a utility guy if you can't re-sign VR. My hunch would be that they would be looking for a big league piece, whether that's a starting pitcher, um, certainly like you said, a reliever, uh, are they looking for an outfielder if Michael Conforto walks out the door? Yeah. Um, But I'm, you're talking to Joe DeMeo here. Like I'm not opposed. If, if JD Davis could get, can get me the right prospect, I'll trade JD (laughs) Davis for a prospect. I mean, ultimately the way I'm looking at it is you can build up this farm system and, you know, they're in position to have some really good draft capital next year to add to the system. You could build up this farm system and then you have the money where Steve Cohen could go buy his replacements for these players. So hypothetically, you know, I, I don't think they're going to trade both Dom and JD for prospects. I don't think that would be a particularly good look. But if you told me like 
JD Davis for, and I'd be looking for like upper minors guys. So not someone that's in single a, that it's going to take five years to get to the big leagues, like someone in double a or even triple a. And it's like, all right, maybe they're not ready right now, but they'll be ready in the next year to potentially make an impact on the team. And then you can just, you know, take those funds and go get someone in free agency instead. Uh, so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate it. Um, what the GM wants to do, uh, or president of baseball operations, whoever's running the show. But I think adding to the farm system is something that, you know, good teams do. Like it's not, obviously we, they want to win now. Um, but even the Dodgers have a history of trading veterans for prospects while they're winning. So it's not necessarily the worst move in the world. It just obviously depends on who the prospect is. You know, I'm not trading JD for someone with very limited upside at the upper minors, or I'm not really looking for someone five years away. But you know, you, you never know with control and, you know, JD, it's weird. Like, I feel like he hasn't had a good offensive year, but his stats are good. Uh, you never know what you could get for someone that's under control. Well, his sample size isn't gigantic because he, quite frankly, hasn't been playing a lot. And I think it kind of speaks volumes that he hasn't been playing a lot. It speaks to their faith in him right now. And I, once again, I think he's been hurt, which is not is another issue in itself. And I just yeah. think that the bottom line is for me with J.D. Davis, like I don't dislike J.D. Davis. It's not anything like that. I just think he has really no place on this Mets team. And that's not... That sounds a lot more harsh than how I intend it. That's the reality of the big leagues. Like, decent players get moved because there's just not a fit necessarily anymore. And with JD, I just don't see, you know, he, he quite frankly just isn't good enough at third where he could have held that down. He it ha isn't really the impact bat to hold a corner spot in the outfield every day. So he's an, a bench guy. But I don't, I, maybe I'm just, you know, I'd really have to look into the numbers, but as someone that just sits and watch the games, I feel like when he pinch hits, at least the second half of this year, it, he hasn't done anything. So, and the Mets have actually been a really good pinch hitting team uh, for the most part. Dom's been really good in that role. Plenty of guys have been really good in that role. Peraza. So, man, I, I, I can see both of these guys moved and I do agree with you that it's, it's, pro they probably look different, the trades. I think that something to think about because this is something we discussed this year the Mets had a huge problem at the trade deadline this year because not only did they not have a volume of prospects like remember when the Yankees got Rizzo and Gallo and those moves look really not so good right now but when they got them everybody was kind of underwhelmed by the players in those deals but you discussed some teams like volume in deals rather than a one Pete Crow Armstrong in return they like three lesser players but they want more they want a bigger amount of players. The Mets couldn't make other trades or, you know, go get a Chris Bryan or whoever it may be because they didn't have the volume of prospects to do it. So do you trade one of these guys for, you know, two pretty good triple A or double A guys? And then you trade the other one, as Steve says in here, a reliever or, you know, an outfielder or a starting pitcher like that. I think there's a couple different ways to play this, but I do think it's fascinating that as we sit here towards the end of September, it almost feels like to me it would be a bigger surprise if Dom Smith and J.D. Davis are on the Mets next year. I'm starting to feel the same way um, that there's going to be change here, obviously, front office, manager. And the reality is 
on the field needs to change too. Uh, these guys haven't hit. You know, we were high on this offense in the spring, and boy, we couldn't have been further from right. And you just can't bring back the same team and say it'll be different this time. You just can't do that. So I think you see some trades and, you know, some things might end up unpopular with the fan base. Uh, certainly we know how how well liked Dom Smith is. But I think, you know, a guy like Jeff McNeil also can be a consideration. It's just going to be an eventful offseason in so many ways. You know, and I'll say this, and I want to make sure I'm not overlapping a question here, but it looks like I am not. I, I saw a popular tweet i think it was started by smy they basically said you know if you're moving on from someone who would you or who would you keep mcneil or dom and i'm with you i love dom dom is like just a a lovable player um it's oh you know he would really was really really gonna have to produce like he did in the 60 game sprint in 2020 to warrant keeping in left field until a dh comes and then you can kind of platoon him and pete at first and DH and all those things like that. And the offense just doesn't exist this year. The pop is nowhere to be found where you're, you're kind of concerned. I'm going to be honest. My take on McNeil, who has definitely frustrated me as much as anyone this year. My take on McNeil though, remains the same one. I don't think he's ever been healthy this year. Even when he, when he came back from the hamstring, I don't think McNeil's ever been healthy this year and he's playing through it Two. There's some bizarre, maybe it's blind faith. I think you can get McNeil back to being the guy he was, a contact, put the ball in play, hit 300 guy that is valuable to the future of this team. Number one, he's he's cost-controlled, and I know Dom is too. But number two, I just think there's enough pop in this lineup or there's going to be in the future because I I do think Javi's going to be here. We know Pete and Lindor are going to be here. I I have confidence in those three. Where can you can McNeil buy in? That's what I wonder. And and the people in the Mets building know that more than me. I'm just sitting here guessing. But I think a healthy McNeil bought into an approach that he's a contact guy that puts the ball in play, can can, can get back into a 300 hitter that plays multiple positions in the field. And I think that is exactly what the Mets need for the future, honestly, right now. I think McNeil's a very valuable asset with his versatility. Um, he has obviously a, a significant history of hitting very well. Um, like you said, a contact hitter, a guy who would get on base. Uh, I hope that whoever is the hitting instructor next year realizes that, yes, there needs to be you know an organizational philosophy per se, but the best coaches in the world tailor plans to each individual player and you should not try to make Jeff McNeil the same way as Pete Alonzo. Like everyone should be, there should be a plan tailored for each player for their skill set to get the best possible results out of them. Um, to me, McNeil would be the one of the guys that we talk about realistically potentially trading that has the highest likelihood to come back and bite you in the butt for doing it. I, I totally agree. I just, I don't really. See, I just think McNeil, my take on McNeil is, besides the health thing, which I think is huge, and the fact that he, I mean, he's under team control until 2000, he's not a free agent until 2025, and by then he'll be 33. I, I just think that we saw enough of who McNeil is before the sprint, before the 60-game season, 
And that McNeil is so desperately what this team lacks. And honestly, what it will lack next year without a significant move. Because, you know, I think Pete's approach has been really impressive. But Pete is there to hit home runs and drive in runs and get big hits. We know that's who Javi Baez is, okay? Lindor, you know, it's it's hard to get a read on just one year of Lindor. And Lindor is a great player. And I think he's going to be a great player here for a long time. But they really need a guy like McNeil that that can be a 300 hitter and just get, you know, kind of in a he's a different way of Nimmo. Like Nimmo obviously gets on base so much from walks and just having such a good eye at the plate. And he's not like McNeil swinging it, you know, first pitch all the time. But they need another fire starter like Nimmo where it's this guy's on base. Now the home runs are two run home runs, not solo shots. Now the doubles are driving guys in. They're not runner left on second over and over again each inning. So, you know, I, I didn't go into this show thinking, wow, we're going to we're going to stand on the table and <laughs> scream for Jeff McNeil. But uh, it's 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 an interesting combo right now. And and I, I know that's where, you know, both you and I stand. So, all right, we got a two parter from Pat Chamberlain. First one, he says, one, if you could change anything. This is a great question for you, Joe. If he says, if you could change anything about the current Mets farm system, other than our double-A team being called the Rumble Ponies, because that's objectively great. I agree, Pat. What would you change? So they have great facilities. Um, I don't have... You really can't have a huge issue with the names because half of them are Mets. So you can't really have a big issue with the Syracuse Mets, the St. Lucie Mets. Um, then the Brooklyn Cyclones is great because of the roller coaster. Rumble Ponies is a really fun name. Um Honestly, I, it's been a it's been a big topic of conversation over the last month or so. Um, and now you see more people standing up. Um, I'd like to see that, you know, it's not that the Mets are mistreating their minor leaguers, but it's really a baseball problem. And a lot of it are things that Steve Cohen and ownership can address and fix um, the pay that players get they can't just pay players wherever they want. There's some something with MLB. Um, there's a minimum. And my understanding is the Mets pay more than the minimum, but they're not, uh, you know, there's, I think there is some cap. They can't just decide to pay them whatever they want. Uh, so that it'd be nice if they were paid more, but that, that feels like more of an MLB problem. Uh, to me, two things that stand out is housing. Um, I don't know if you saw, uh, it was one of the minor league, one, one of the sites that are, uh, you know, for the benefit of the minor leagues. And they had an Angels prospect on who was like video cameraing like the places that he and roommates had. And it literally looked like a shelter, like, a, you know, two bedroom apartment with three beds in each room. Um, one guy and then they would like share like some people would sleep on the couch and they would alternate. Um, they would have, you know you'd have rents that you're responsible for and then you would get shifted to another level and you're still responsible for that rent and now you're getting another rent and you don't have money because you're not making anything or hardly anything um to me having proper housing for players would be important uh, whether that is you know booking hotels and just having players live in hotels i don't think that's you know the worst thing in the world they don't need to you know, buy them apartments and, and things like that. But to me, housing would be huge. Um, so that way these guys can, you know, get normal rest, normal sleep. Um, 
you know, not have to share a bed potentially with other prospects and, you know, things like that. And then of course, and then food, you know, nutrition, that is a huge thing. Uh, you know, I back, you know, it's a few years ago now, so things might be a little different, but it's not that much different. Um, I remember I was interviewing a prospect, um, for the Mets and, uh, set up in the dugout. He sat down and we introduced ourselves and he goes to me, he was like, uh, do you, do you mind if I go get something to eat? I'm starving. I said, sure, man, go ahead, go grab something to eat. And, you know, we could talk after that, whatever. He comes back out, sits down next to me. He has a paper plate with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on it. And it's just like, to me, nutrition should be a part of player development. Um, you should be feeding these guys, you know, it doesn't mean you have to buy them filet mignon and, you know, get them you know all lavish food but they should be fed in a way of developing themselves i think a lot of the problems that dom smith had had something to do with the food that was provided in the minor leagues um so for me you know i know that i'm sure that pat's idea was probably baseball related but for me you know i I stand really firmly with the minor leaguers uh and the way that they're treated is it's just flat out wrong um you know, it's it's looked at uh, from a bottom line, like a lot of things are in the business world. And from a bottom line, I'm sure they're doing great. But from a humane thing, from a moral thing, um, I hope that the Mets can get out at the forefront of this, provide housing for these guys, whether like I said, whether it's a hotel or an apartment, maybe you have one roommate or something like that where it, you know, it's feasible. Um, but yeah, housing, nutrition. Those to me would be the two biggest things. Um, so that way you want these players just focused on baseball and developing as baseball players. The last thing you need to be worrying about is these guys, while they're trying to prepare to play baseball, is thinking about what am I going to eat tonight? How am I going to eat tonight? I'm starving. Um, or, damn, I really don't want to share a bed with, you know, so-and-so tonight. Like that kind of stuff. Like to me, that feel it's like it almost looks like a shelter or like college or, you know, something, something that's not for development of professional athletes. Totally with you. Uh, well said, and it, it's got to change. I think it's going in the right direction or will. And I, I do think the Mets will be one of the teams in front of it, but like you said, it's a, it's a giant issue of the system. It's not like a Mets related thing. It's a baseball related thing. That is a problem league wide that, you know, one team fixing one little thing isn't going to make it better across the way. So, yeah, it's it's got to get better. You know, the nutrition's a great call. I think if you look at it, I think, you know, maybe teams should have cafeterias in their facility that have packaged meals as well. Not just you go up and get food for that moment, but you can take something home with you. I think that would go a long way as well. So at least there there's a resource there for them to eat uh, and eat better. Man, I, you know... It's, I haven't been to the last minor league game I went to. I went to a Cyclones game, I think, two years ago. Yeah, it wouldn't, obviously wouldn't be last year. So two years ago, I did um, baseball you can drink. And my recommendation would be not to change anything about that, but to make a baseball you can drink every week in Brooklyn because there's only like four of them when they did it. Basically, what you do is you get like a $40 ticket and – I think the three hours leading up to the game, it's open bar, you get food, you get snacks, you obviously get a ticket to the game. It's like the best deal going in New York City right now. So if you want to pack, and it was packed, obviously, it was full house, probably sold out game. 
Uh, it was awesome. Brooklyn, obviously, great place to catch a game. So I think promos like that are what makes minor league special. And I think getting creative like that to get people out to the park is the best way to go about it. And then it also brings in more money for those clubs. I know much of the changes that need to happen need to be funded by the Mets, like the the New York Mets, like the major league franchise. But if you want to actually improve the the revenue for the minor leagues is just get it as creative as possible and just do, you know, obviously insane stuff like that. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The second part of Pat's question is obviously related now to not the minor leagues, but the team right now. He says, currently, where would you set the odds on Louis Rojas keeping his job? I don't think there's a chance. What do you think, Joe? Uh, very, very unlikely is, is what I would say. I, I wouldn't say 0% chance, but it's it's really, really close. There, there, so, I, would be, I would be shocked if there wasn't another manager. My theory is that they let him go at the end of the year. And that when they're searching for the new, you know, president of baseball ops, it's a clean slate so that that guy hires his own guy. And it's not even a, hey, Rojas is here. You get to decide if you want to keep him. I don't even think they'll do that. So my understanding is Rojas's contract expires at the October 31st. Yeah, Um, that'll be that. So do they fire him? Maybe. Um do they just kind of do what you just said, where they bring in a president of baseball operations before that date and be like, hey, it's your choice. And to me, I feel like that's probably the right thing to do. Because um, who's to say they don't hire someone that, you know, really wants Louie. And, you know, you don't want to fire him before that person gets to give their input. Um, but my expectation is, Whoever they bring in will be bringing a new manager with them. So I just think from a 
organizational structure and kind of like the right way to do things if possible and you get and you actually have someone in in time i think it would be nice for that person to make the decision and not like the day after the season ends sandy allison releases a statement or something like that uh i think it's gonna be the latter i know it's uh, yeah we will see um and i i've been vocal that i like rojas i just think they're gonna yeah, you know, they got, he's had a bad month. To. Let me be honest. Yeah. He he's Terrible. had his worst month. Uh, yeah. Let me call it like it is all the times I defended him. And then he went and had like literally he could he just couldn't get a decision right for a month straight. So I, I think the clubhouse, I'm not going to say they're out on him. But when you hear a guy like Taiwan Walker say he should have been left in there, it's just there's a lot going on. And I think it's time to align everyone, align the director of baseball with the manager and with the new, uh, obviously the owner, Cohen of the team, and then the new, you know, look of the team. There's going to be a lot of big decisions made surrounding that, and everybody's got to be aligned. And, and I know Rojas is probably the type of guy, I respect this, that will put his head down and, you know, work and 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 work with new people, but I just don't think that's going to be the case here. So, all right, the next one is from Michael Sen. Piggybacking off the fast food discussion, what is your favorite fast food dessert? In particular, rank the McFlurry, the Frosty, Shake Shack, Shake slash ice cream, plus on any other you guys like. So I've never had a Shake Shack shake. I don't know if that's like diabolical or what. Um, I I've have. Ha- it, it, okay. It's good. It's good. It's. I mean, I don't think it's like asinine that you haven't had it. Um, I would say it would be asinine if you hadn't had a Frosty. That, no, that, the Frosty is the king okay. on this list. Yeah, Frosty's king. Right? Sh- yeah, I would say Frosty is king. Shake Shack Shake is probably two. McFlurry would be three. Um, I'll say some. It's very. It's not great, but every once in a while, I could go for like a McDonald's soft serve cone. It's not Dude, great. It, it is great. Stop. You think so? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, like it's I could good. go. It's for been a, a while. Like I, I yeah. genuinely don't think I've had one since I was a kid, but yeah. I, I mean, it's it's good, dude. It's uh, good. Soft serve ice cream is bomb. You know, you know what I'm gonna. Oh, soft serve ice cream is great, but McDonald's is like not top tier soft serve. Well, no, ice the cream. machine's yeah. never working. Is the issue <laughs> ever? <laughs> That's true. No matter yeah. where you are, the machine yeah. is never in service. So one thing that I noticed, and I appreciate the the questions like this, the non-baseball ones, because I think it's, you know, we're building a, re- a relationship. Smack in the middle here. Yeah. But uh, I think like they don't realize I don't I don't think they realize that we're not like massive fast food guys. But by, by no, nature. no, um, we are not. <laughs> but I, we definitely have takes. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. We have takes. Um, yeah. And, you know, food, all that stuff. Like when I put out the tweet, like I want to see food questions. I want to see, you know. Anything else? It doesn't always have to be baseball, but I find it very funny that we've gone down this fast food rabbit hole, and I'm just like, man, I don't really have fast food that much, so it's no, it's funny I, to have same. that kind of take. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking in my head. I'm trying to think of like if we missed any here. I mean, I think oh, this isn't fast food, so it doesn't really count. But that the helmet ice cream overtakes all of these, correct? Yeah. Yeah, the, the helmet so, ice cream is just it's almost undefeated in terms of desserts. So I have a couple helmets that I took home from City Field. And when I got by like Ben and Jerry's or whatever ice cream for the freezer, like I scoop it into a helmet is, and, it, and, it, and it makes me happier. That is unbelievable. <laughs> I cannot love that enough. That is yeah. 
Oh, man, that's good. Well, that reminds me. So when I went to City Field, the day we were both there and we were basically both too drunk to find each other because we were on opposite ends of the stadium, uh, I brought home, I think, six souvenir cups that we were drinking Modelo out of all day. Oh, I was I was going to say after were you one of those people after a game like hunting for? No, they were they were ours. Yeah, but I mean, my girlfriend was just like, and she's a big Mets fan, so she loved the cups. But she's like, "Do we, do we really need six of these? Like, can we leave like four of them here?" And I was like, "No, absolutely not." (laughs) Souvenir cups, dude. Every single one. And maybe we'll, you know, I don't know. Maybe we'll give some to our parents or something. But dude, they're a perfect. You know what they're perfect for? They are perfect for when you have your friends over that you do not trust with the adult glasses, right? Like when I go to a craft, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When I go to a craft brewery that I really like, like Icarus down in Jersey, places like that, I like to see what kind of glasses they have. And I usually buy one. I have all kinds of different, like beer glasses, obviously wine, cocktail, tequila, and whiskey separate. But I would say about 98% of my friends, I do not trust when they're over (laughs) drinking using any of those so the Mets souvenir cups that are essentially you could like shoot a machine gun through and they won't break that's what they get they get the kitty cup essentially that's that is mint i'll say i have one souvenir cup here um and i'll send you a couple don't worry (laughs) there we go i'll have a couple and then your girlfriend will be much happier you got some out of the house but i love uh, it but my i haven't i don't really use it all that much it's kind of just like up there but when i did use it so la- I've gone the opening day every year for since like 2006 or seven. Um, obviously, 2020 was the exception. We couldn't go there. was You know, there wasn't fans. But for opening day 2020, um, what we did was we basically treated it like we were at City Field. We uh, we grilled hot dogs. We. Um, we drank out of souvenir cups. We got shock top beer, which is like kind of like the go to if you don't want like Coors Light and you don't want something like craft craft. Very in between. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like perfectly in between. So we bought shock top, drank them out of the souvenir cups, um, made like garlic fries because that at that time, like I was really into the garlic, the box treats like garlic fries at City. And uh, yeah, we kind of like recreated like what it would be like if we were at opening day just at home. And that's kind of like the last time I've used the souvenir cup. Yeah, it's a great way to do things. Like I said, it it really serves two purposes. One, it has Mets on it. Two, I I literally have not used them since. I think that game was in June, and they I have not taken them out since as we sit here at the end of September. uh, When you have your idiot friends over that you cannot trust, that's (laughs) that's how you do it. So, all right, well, the fast food question got off the rails, which is why I put it right in between the mailbag. We are halfway through. All right, from Metberg, if the Mets hand the keys over to Bean, Theo, et cetera, and they decide the organization needs to be rebuilt, will they have authority to make that decision? I don't think they're hiring anybody that wants to rebuild. That's my two cents. I tend to agree. Um, I think Steve Cohen is going to say, look, I I want to win in three to five years. Unless your rebuild is like one year and then we're winning the World Series, like, and that's yeah, obviously very really unlikely. Rebuild. Yeah, it's not rebuild. It's like a retool. Um, I don't think they would have that authority. Just well, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I think they would have that authority. I just don't think the Mets will hire someone that that is what they want to do. Like if they walk in the interview room and they're like, what is your plan for the Mets? And they're like, 
honestly want to rebuild this thing a bit. They'd be like, well, thank you for coming. Appreciate it. Like Steve Cohen wants to win. Mets fans want to win. Um, Sandy Alderson wants to win. I know he gets a lot of griefs. You know, we try to be uh, nice on here, but he gets a lot of grief. But, you know, this guy didn't beat cancer and work into his 70s for fun. Like, I think he he really wants to win. Um, so I, I don't think rebuilding's a possibility here. My favorite um, Sandy Alderson moment is the picture of him. I want to say when they... When it might have been when they made it to the World Series, there's a picture of him just sitting in the stands by himself. Yeah, it was at Wrigley after they beat the Cubs for the NLCS. That, that's yeah. the best Sandy Alderson moment because, yeah. like, I remember Jeff Wilpon like always inserting himself into the team, and which sure. is just ridiculous. It was like watching from afar what he had built. And kind of taking it all in. And I'm with you. Like, Sandy does plenty of things that piss me off. Um, But overall, I think he's also done a lot of good things. And I completely agree. He's not just... Yeah, he could have hung this up a long time ago. Obviously, money and all of those things is not... I do think there's motivation there. And I... I, Yeah, I think that... I think the Mets are going to function like a team this winter that expects to be labeled a World Series contender next year. Now, whether that's fair, whether that's right, whether we agree, because let's not forget, like this, and this isn't pat myself on the back because I've been wrong about a lot with the Mets this year, almost like everything. I didn't expect the Mets to win the division this year. I picked the Braves. Yeah. And and I wouldn't say that knowing that they lost Acuna and they're still going to probably win the division. We'll see. A lot of ball game left. But I think next year is the real Steve Cohen Mets era. I think so, too. And, uh, you know, he one thing that I've harped on as well is he said three to five years, which I wish he didn't say that either. But he said three to five years and fans are struggling to give him three to five months. So a little bit of patience. Um, I think they're going to be very aggressive uh, and I'm very interested to see how the offseason goes Uh, in 2015. That game you're talking about where, you know, Sandy sat out in the crowd and just, you know, empty and just enjoyed overseeing the moment and uh jeff wilpon was drinking out of the massive champagne bottle what do you think steve cohen does if the mets win a world series oh man you know what he i think honestly he's a pretty private guy like in terms of like in person and family and all those things like just because he logs on twitter and says stuff doesn't mean that like i don't think cohen loves like just lives for the camera and stuff I'm sure Cohen would have like a wild party at his mansion that nobody would really like know about the details. Like we would never really know. You don't think Steve Cohen's going in a locker room and having Pete Alonzo dump a a coarse light on his head? Man, I just don't. I wish. I don't know. I would love it. Like that's a a question that I would love to ask him. Like uh, back when Steve Cohen responded to me on Twitter and everyone went nuts. It was very funny. But uh if if we ever had Steve Cohen on, like I know that would people would be annoyed, but like I feel like that's a question I would want to ask. They'd be like, you know, this is how people celebrate when they win. Like, are you a guy that would, you know, because don't forget he's a Mets fan too. So like, winning is a little more than just I own this team and they won. Like he would feel, you know, related to the win. So I I almost wonder if Cohen would get get down in the mud and you know 
maybe not spray champagne all over, but uh, be willing to be accepting of a couple beer pours or, or some champagne on them. Um, but, you know, if I was a player, I'd be deathly afraid to pour beer on Steve Cohen because he could do bad things to me. <laughs> if you won the World Series, I don't think you care about anything at That's that fair. point. Yeah. But yeah, it's I know that's the thing. I think people have forgotten that, too, this year is that this guy is a Mets fan. I mean, a legitimate Mets fan. And I think that I, you know, I just think that matters so much here is that he he does care. Like it's there's obviously a business mindset here, of course, like all else in his life. But I think that, you know, he wants to win as much as anyone and he's going to do everything to to get that done and i think that let's be real the guy's not getting any younger he doesn't want to hear the word rebuild and he bought a team that didn't need to be rebuilt right like he didn't buy like the pirates or something like that like the mets have i mean we're in jacob Degrom's prime and we're gonna learn a lot about what Degrom. i don't want to say is left in the tank because that's insane but what Degrom is next year like is he the number one and he pitches you know, he makes almost all of his starts or is DeGrom kind of like how Kershaw has been where it's like, you know, he's going to miss, you know, a month here, a month there. Can you just get him right for the postseason? Like, I, we don't know, but yeah. there, there's a lot on this team that is win now, win the year after and win the year after that. And then and then we'll see where we're at. But the guy is, you know, he'll turn 66 next year. Uh, if I was him, I and I'm not not saying that matters. It's not old, old, but. Sick of waiting like the rest of us, man. Sick of it. It gets old after a while. He he has to be ready to go. Like I I have said, I think I've said it on here. If not, I'm going to say it now, but I've said it on Twitter and things like that. I believe the Mets are going to have the highest payroll in baseball next year. I think they're going to surpass the Dodgers. They're going to surpass the Yankees. Uh, I think they're going to have the highest payroll. I think Cohen's intending to spend a lot of money um, and I'm very interested to see kind of where it goes. Yeah, it's yeah, we're going to see. We're going to see. I, I think we're in for a very uh, interesting winter, my friend, a busy one for us. And that that dusty old YouTube channel. <laughs> It'll be, uh... Oh, dude, we, we <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about it yesterday. I think actually I was like, we just need to before the season ends, do a live on YouTube. That's what I think yeah. we need to do before the season ends, you know, do like a recap and answer some questions and, you know, hopefully uh, some people will tune in and, you know, check us out live on that. So Mets YouTube channel. That's very dusty. Hasn't been used in a while, but this off season um, you're going to see more YouTube content than you're going to see podcasts. Yeah. I mean, that absolutely. It's, it's where we're going to go for basically every signing, every trade uh, hires, things like that. It, we've always, you know, we kind of, you know, feed this like a fed horse. That's the uh, PETA friendly version, by the way, Joe. If you didn't know that, you, you can't say beat a dead horse. Say feed a fed oh. horse. Um, okay. Yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, that you know, that's where we're gonna go for all those things. Where the pod just kind of recaps everything in a a longer listed way. So, all right, two more questions left on the mailbag. This is from Resign Baez, please. That was the user's name. I didn't sneak that in there, although I agree. He said, if Conforto ends up elsewhere, what do you think the Mets outfield looks like in 2022? Ah, uh, Castellanos, Mark uh-uh. Vientos, uh, uh. Kevin Pillar? <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Man, I, I... Okay, my take is... I kind of feel like Conforto is not going to be here unless he takes the qualifying offer. My second take is I genuinely have no idea what the hell they do looking at this outfield market. So we found Connor's uh, burner. Resigned Baez, please. This is, I've, yeah. I'll throw yeah. my hands up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Conforto gets a qualifying offer. I think he turns it down. Um, I think the Mets monitor his market because... I, I don't think they should be pushing him out the door by any means. But if I had to wager on one of the pending free agents not going to be a Met next year, Conforto would probably be my guess. And, you know, in the world that he is gone, I think Brandon Nimmo stays in center field, probably. Um, he was, you know, plus he's been a above average center fielder this year. So credit to him for his development. Uh, not sure if, you know, maybe they would look at like a Byron Buxton where they could shit in trade and they could shift Nimmo to left, but I'd be Until looking Buxton at Buxton gets hurt in May and then Nimmo's right. back in center and then Nimmo but, gets hurt in May and, and then triple a right. players are up and Albert Almora is in center field. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then no, he's I'm, hurt. <laughs> so for me, I think this is what I would like to see. Um, McNeil in left field, uh, Nimmo in center field. And Chris Bryant in right field. I've not, you know, I love this. Not third base. Bring Jonathan VR back for a year. Or, you know, I I know a lot of people won't be happy hearing this. Like, I don't want, I don't really want them to sign Carlos Correa to play third base or Trevor Story to play third base. Dude, me either. I I think, you know, people won't want to hear plan for prospects, but. Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos are both going to be in AAA. I would very much like, you know, if you could upgrade VR and get a better, you know, and someone on a two-year deal where it's, you know, you have some versatility after the year when a Beatty or a Vientos is there. But I really would not like to see them lock in someone at third base for big money. Because, I mean, like I mentioned, obviously Vientos and Beatty, but like if somehow both of those guys don't pan out in their busts, you have Ronnie Mauricio next, who probably best transitions as a third baseman. So I don't know I'd be in a rush for like a huge money third baseman, but a guy like Chris Bryant, I think makes a lot of sense where you could play him at third base if you want to, you know, in given situations, but you could also throw him in left field. You could throw him in right field. Hell, he's played center field this year. So Bryant to me is someone that intrigues me a lot. Uh, one, obviously a good right-handed power bat, a very versatile player and very important to me. He can't get a qualifying offer because the Mets, I know people, it's another thing that people were, did not like me saying on Twitter, the Mets need to not lose one of their first round picks to sign a qualifying offer free agent. There's plenty of good players that are not going to be attached to it. Uh, Build that way. Uh, Chris Bryant to me would be probably the top of my list. Dude, I don't even get this fascination with the guys that you would lose the pick for. Like, I know, I know how good Correa is, and I know how good sure. story can be. Like, but like you said, Joe, it's not like the pool is empty. There's so right. many other options that make just as much, if not more, sense out there where you don't lose the draft pick. And, and I look at it like this, where it's like, yes, in a vacuum, I would rather have Carlos Correa than the 14th overall pick. Sure, in a vacuum, that's in a absolutely vacuum. true. But it, we don't live in a vacuum. I can sign Chris Bryant and keep the 14th pick. I would rather have Chris Bryant and that prospect than Carlos Correa. 
or Trevor Story, Corey Seager, you know, any of those guys that you would talk about uh, doing so. And ultimately, too, I don't think I don't think the Mets are really going to want to be investing, you know, 20 something million dollars a year at third base, 30 something million dollars at shortstop, 25 million dollars at second base. Like there is a line in which you can't keep spending like I know Steve Cohen's rich and he has all this money. But fans have to accept, too, that they're not just going to pay every single position on the diamond big money. It's just it's not feasible. It's it's not it's not what you want for sustainable success. Like you could build up that super team, maybe win a World Series. And, you know, that's great. Right. And they haven't won in my life. So I'll take one World Series. So I'm not certainly complaining about that. But not only do I want one, I want two, I want three, I want four. And having that flexibility, I think, is is important in doing that while also not being afraid to make a big move when it makes sense. Totally. You can't have what, like seven 37 year olds on the team that are making right. 30 million. Like it's just, that just cannot happen. So, exactly. you know, this is a perfect transition in the next question to really keep this conversation going. Cause I think it's, it's vital. And, you know, we kind of have a form of this question, a form of this conversation every other week, just kind of layered differently because it's it's the most important uh, for the team going forward. So the next question from James Costanzo says, Baez or Conforto, if the Mets can only afford one, who do you choose? And and like you said, Joe, yes, technically the Mets can afford both of these guys, but theoretically it's not really smart to just say, okay, each of them get I don't know, six years, $150 million deals, right? Just to keep this simple and not get too deep into it. I mean, no, don't do that. I really would hope they don't. And two, you know, I think there is a small chance. I know you completely disagree with this. I do think there's a small chance Conforto's back on the qualifying. Um, I'm not overly optimistic about it, but I think that chance exists. And it's exciting that the Mets, you know, get compensation if, if he, denies it so at least it's there's some good to come out of that for me I, this is really not an argument or there there's no really nothing to think about here and and maybe that's shallow of me maybe that is like really fan reacting side of me it's hobby bias all day it's it's not even remotely close and it starts with the fact that i, it, I want lindor and bias to be the middle of this infield for the next four or five years whatever it is if you can get hobby on three years which is not happening great um, you know, he's 28. So he's, he's technically still a young free agent, right? He's not in his thirties or anything like that. I, I'm worried about Conforto. I'm worried about Conforto here. I'm worried about Conforto against lefties. And I, I love the guy. I, you know, I really, he's maybe the only player in my lifetime that I, when they drafted him, I was like, genuinely really really excited and it it actually panned out pretty quick like he was up in the major so quickly after they drafted him you know he hit the two home i was at the game when he hit the two home runs in the world series i just i don't know man i think that one he's gonna get overpaid which is baseball but you have to choose who you overpay Uh, he has a good arm I, i don't think he has exceptional range in the outfield he's a true corner outfielder he has a good arm he has looked lost at the plate this year. The power can be great at times, but his lows are he plummets, he tanks. And I just, I think with Baez, you've already seen stretches this year where he's starting to buy in a little bit. He doesn't have to be this 
you know, stare at every pitch kind of guy. Javi's going to chase. Javi's going to strike out a lot. But Javi feeds off of the big moments. He's electric on the bases. He's a gold glove defender. There's obviously an energy of him and Lindor playing together. And the power is just remarkable where if this is really something that we've seen the last four weeks of him buying into taking some pitches, he might be even even bigger threat next year. Uh, it to me, it's just not close. I I know it's crazy to say that from where we were back in April, but this is not close to me. So I'll believe it when I see it. First off, that Javi's approach has changed. I I in baseball, I don't think you could teach a dog new tricks. I think Javi is what Javi is. He'll get his contract. And he'll go back to just free swinging Javi. That's my get my bet. Um, obviously, I've been super impressed with the way Javi played. How could you not? He's been Cespedes good, even better than Cespedes. He's been better. Yeah, he's been yeah. better. So just, like, they're, they're just not a yeah. good team, so no one cares. But if you right, look at the exactly. numbers, he's been better. Yeah, Javi's been fantastic. Uh, Conforto obviously didn't have the best walk year. Um, it To me, it, it really comes down to the contracts, right? Um, what's the length? Because I think Javi Baez is a terrible investment for the long term. Um, I think the near term will provide greater impact than the near term of Michael Conforto. But if you told me which one do I think would last better in a six-year deal, it would be Conforto over Baez. Um, but Baez right now is a, he's a better baseball player. I mean, you know, there's not really much, much of a way around it. So it depends to me. It really depends on the contract. Am I talking five years, a hundred million for Conforto and, you know, five years, 120 for Baez. If I'm talking that, then I'm signing Javi Baez. But if Javi Baez is approaching $200 million, he's not double the player that Michael Conforto is. So at that point I would sign Michael Conforto for, Let's call it a little over $100 million. And um, you have second base options with Jeff McNeil. You have Robinson Cano, who's unfortunately coming back. But to me, it's really based on the contract. In a vacuum, I'm signing Javi Baez. He's a better baseball player. I'm saying that. And that's 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 big for me, for those that have listened to this podcast. Um, but it's not in a vacuum. It depends on contract. What's the length that he gets? I, I would like to think that given the depth of the shortstop free agent market, that Baez's value won't be maximized just because of other options out there. And that could play in the Mets' hand. And I think they'll be able to get him for more of a team-friendly contract, at least as far as length goes. Because uh, I don't care about money. It doesn't matter anymore. They're going to blow past the luxury tax. The money is not a factor. It's just Javi Baez is not a guy that I think is a five, six year deal guy. Um, they might have to go to five, which is probably one more year than I am comfortable. But yeah, I think, I think it's an interesting debate. I think it's a little closer than you think it is. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just gonna matter. What were these guys markets? Conforto's gonna have a great market probably because of the dearth of corner outfielders on the market. So yeah, that's a long way of saying, I think I'd prefer Javi, but it it really depends on where we're looking at contractually. I'm not I'm certainly not a sign Javi at all costs guy. Mm. Yeah, I get that side. I, I think that one, I don't think Javi's market is going to be bananas. Right. I really do think you're going to be looking at a deal that is I, I think that you can get the term to, you know, four to five years. I really do. I think the money will be juiced up. 
Um, but I'm okay with that. With Conforto, you know, and both of these guys are 28 year old free agents, right? So when you look at it, you're you're talking about the same age. I I always worry about Boris, where I don't see how Conforto's done anything that warrants you getting taken for a ride. And I think Boris, and I know Conforto has been vocal that he has the power in this if he wants to stay and all those things. But I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I look at it and think that, man, it's just, it could be a scary contract. It really can because you're paying a corner outfielder that is, I said, has a good arm. I don't think the range is great. That's not something that's going to improve when you're in your 30s. To You're paying him to be a, a superstar bat. And the reality with Michael Conforto right now is, has he been a superstar bat any full season besides 2017, his one all-star year? I, I mean, really? Like, I, no, the answer is no, honestly. And I know it's harsh. And I know I'm discounting the 60-game season where he was phenomenal. That was a 54-game season for him. That is such a small sample size. It's just, it's scary what that contract can do where with Javi, and I think I am minimizing or lowering my expectations on how his market can get, which is probably playing into this argument, that maybe Javi gets some insane deal and it's like, oh my God, we got Baez on like a six-year deal. This is not good. Like, I totally agree that can happen. But I just know with Javi, I like that you fall back on. He's a gold glover that fits here. No doubt about that. Uh, and I know it's it's funny to say that after how it started with the, the thumbs down thing. But he fits here. He is made for New York. And he, I think he's always going to hit his home runs. No matter how yes. many. And he's always going to steal his bases or make plays on the base paths. Base paths. So with Conforto, I, Joe, I legitimately don't know if he'll always hit his home runs. Or I know he's not anything special on the base paths, and I know he's not anything special defensively. So you are sitting here, if you give Conforto that deal, and you're going, he's got to hit 30 home runs and bat above 250 for most of this deal. And I just, I guess my confidence in that has has sank, and it stinks to say that. So I, I, I feel like I know what Michael Conforto is. And, you know, this year obviously is not a good representation. And obviously Baez being hot for the last month, Everyone lives in, you know, a recency bias uh, sense. But sure, I feel yeah. like I feel like I know exactly what Conforto is. Like, I feel like I know what I'm going to get. Javi, I don't know what I'm going to get. That could be a good thing. <laughs> it could be a less good thing. Um, but to me, I just think Conforto, he's going to hit 260, 260 or so. It's uh, going to get on base at a high clip. Just look at his, you know, career history. It's going to hit 25 to 30 homers probably. Um, yeah, I mean, he plays fine defense. So to me, Conforto is a safer investment. Oddly, you know, I, I completely understand all the things you're saying, but I feel like he's a safe investment just because if you look at his career, you kind of know what you're getting. Javi has had his ups and downs. Um, but obviously Michael Conforto is not competing for an MVP and Javi Baez did. So, uh, the upside with Javi Baez is, one of the better players in baseball, a five, six win player um, does everything. Um, the downs for him are, are just really tough, but that comes with almost any player too. So I'm trying to be as, you know, trying to be fair where it's like, yeah, Javi's flaws irritate the hell out of me. Um, but he's got so many pros to his game. 
And I think he fits here. I think Lindor is going to have an impact here. He has Steve Cohen's ear. Um, Javi and him are boys. Um, I'd, I'd be at this point, you know, like you said, unless there's some bananas offer out there, I would be kind of surprised if Javi Baez wasn't back in Queens. Yeah, me too. So somehow this turned into our longest show. And quite frankly, uh, the Mets are not very interesting to watch right now. I know that's crazy to say, but they just, you know, they just haven't put together a streak that warrants them interesting. But as we always say, the Mets are always interesting, whether it's on the field or off the field. And right now off the field, they could not be more fascinating. So episode 60 closing thoughts, Joe. Yeah. Long episode. Great episode. A lot of stuff packed in. What it shows to me is this Mets team win, lose or draw. They're not boring. There's a lot of things to talk about. Um, And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, hit that YouTube channel, even though when you subscribe, you'll realize the last time we were on it was when the Mets traded for Javi Baez. Um, But just realize, turn on notification. Like I've been watching YouTube videos. So like I'm trying to get like the uh, the wording down, you know, subscribe, hit the notifications thing. Tap Um, in. (laughs) Yeah. Tap in because like we're we're going to be going live like. I'm kind of like volunteering your time, so we'll figure it out. But like we're going live before the season ends. Um, We'll figure out a a time and date that works. Well, even if it's 15 minutes, you know, something like that. Like I I, we get great questions when I put out on Twitter. I can only imagine what it'll be like when we're live on a YouTube channel and we're talking about what we are and people could just interact. So that's what the YouTube channel is going to be about live stuff here and there. Um, And then obviously, of course, when anything major happens. Uh, yeah. So keep pushing to the YouTube channel. And then of course the podcast is going nowhere. We do this every week. We'll continue to do it every week. So uh, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, leave reviews uh, and we'll read them on the show. Um, answer questions if you leave them in the reviews, but yeah, let's, let's hop on those five stars, get some reviews in um, and continue to see this kind of grow. Well said, man. My goodness, you have turned into quite the promoter. I don't even need to close with anything. So you heard it there. We'll be on YouTube soon. Uh, The pods are still coming every single smack dab in the middle of the week. Tuesday nights, if you need it, if you need it like you need oxygen. Wednesday mornings, if you need it like a morning coffee, whatever it may be. Episode 60. Thank you so much, everyone. Catch you next week. Is your savings just sitting there? Well, put it to work. A premium online savings account from PenFed earns way more than the national average. So you can get your savings working on earning you a vacation or a new kitchen or that fancy exercise mirror. Apply at PenFed.org savings. Premium online savings account holders must agree to electronic delivery of account opening disclosures and monthly statements. $5 minimum required to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. PenFed's got great